Today's scripture reading will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. I wonder if you can think of a time in your life when you received what you would describe as lavish generosity. At the end of the summer this year, I received an interesting gift. Now, I had recently reconnected with a friend that I went to school with in England when we were 19 years old. During that year, we were best friends. We did everything together. We even backpacked around Europe for three weeks during spring break. When the year was done, we lost touch, but we recently reconnected this past summer and started chatting again, which was really nice. Late in August, her husband reached out to me and he asked, he told me it was her birthday at the end of September, and he said, would you be willing to fly down to Texas to surprise her for the weekend, all expenses paid? Now, my first reaction was actually to be pretty suspicious. I mean, who does that? All expenses paid? Really? What's the catch? Now, after going back and forth about it for a while, I, in the end, I finally decided to go. And it turned out to be an amazing weekend. I admit, it's a pretty strange experience to see someone you haven't seen since you were a teenager. We both looked pretty different, but she was still the same friend I knew all those years ago. Their gift to me was an example of lavish generosity. To be flown down for a weekend, even put up in a hotel, the kind of generosity that feels uncommon. And while I knew that my going there was a birthday gift for her, really it felt like a gift to me in so many ways. In our passage today, we're going to look at another example of over-the-top, lavish generosity, even bigger than a weekend in Texas. The story is found in John 12 and is one part of a series of events leading up to Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In this passage, we find Jesus at dinner with friends in Bethany. Lazarus was there along with Jesus's disciples and Martha and Mary. If you remember the last time we saw Mary in the Gospel of John, it was a pretty emotional moment. In John 11, she runs out to meet Jesus, tears rolling down her cheeks, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, her and her sister Martha's brother had fallen sick, and they had called Jesus to come to heal him. But Jesus took so long getting there 
that Lazarus had already died and was buried. No one expected what would happen next. Jesus called Lazarus back to life. He called him right out of the tomb, and that dead man sat up and walked out. Since then, Lazarus had become a bit of a local celebrity. We see in John 12 that while crowds came to see Jesus, many of them were actually there to see Lazarus as well, the man who had come back to life. And because of this, the religious leaders began to plot to kill Lazarus too. Now, all this is the background to this meal in John 12, a dinner given in Jesus's honor in the hometown of Mary and Martha, most likely a banquet. Lazarus was there and Martha served the food. It was a celebration. I wonder if you have very much experience going to formal dinners. I've been to a few. And honestly, I'm always a bit self-conscious about doing things correctly. In a Western-style meal, this means using the cutlery from the outside in, and it can always be really hard to keep track of what to use when, whose side plate is whose, and which glass goes with what. I recently finished watching a show on Netflix on etiquette called Mind Your Manners. And the host talks about how to use chopsticks correctly, which I'm not very good at, and how to fold your napkin correctly in your lap. The whole goal of etiquette, according to the host, is to make those around you feel comfortable. That's the point. You don't want to do anything that will make people feel uneasy, and you definitely don't want to shock them. Now, if that's the definition of proper etiquette, then what happened next at this dinner was definitely not that. It broke all the rules of polite behavior, both in that culture and in ours today. So during the meal, while people were laughing, chatting, feasting, Mary came up to Jesus. He was reclining at the table, most likely with his feet away from the table on a canopy. And with a small crack, she breaks the neck of a jar of perfume, and she pours it on his feet. And then she unbinds her long hair and carefully wipes the perfume from his feet with her hair. We're told that this perfume was nard, which was an expensive perfume, red in color, and had a sweet smell. The author John makes the point to note that the house was filled with the scent of this perfume. You couldn't miss that something had happened. I imagine conversations stopping and the room getting pretty quiet as people turn to look, not sure how to react. Mary's gift would have made people feel uncomfortable in a few different ways. For one, Jewish women didn't unbind their hair in public. And for her, likely as an unmarried woman, to do so in front of a single rabbi was simply not done. It would be seen as a bit suggestive. Along with this, while anointing someone's head would have been more common, anointing feet during a meal was not. This was not the time and place for this. And finally, and maybe most offensive of all, was the cost of this perfume. We're told that it was worth a year's wages. Now, if you think for a moment what a year's salary is here in Vancouver, or maybe you might want to think the down payment on a house, you might get the sense of the cost of this small bottle. And just like that, it was poured out and it was gone. No running over to scoop it up and put it back in the bottle. I was trying to think of a modern day equivalent. Maybe 
a very, very expensive meal might come to mind, or an all-expense-paid trip, something that was gone as soon as it was given, a gift that had no lasting value beyond what it conveyed to the recipient. What a waste we might think, thousands of dollars gone. I wonder how Mary felt in the midst of all this. Was she embarrassed or confident in her action? We aren't told. We just see the reaction of Jesus and of Judas. Judas Iscariot, who is one of Jesus' disciples, speaks up right away. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now, just in case we might be tempted to agree with him and say, of course, yes, this money should have been given to the poor. What a waste. John clarifies that Judas said this not because he had any concern for the poor himself, but because he was the one who took care of the group's finances and he used to take money for himself from the money bag. It was out of his own self-interest that he spoke up. Jesus comes quickly to Mary's defense. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What did he mean by this? In light of Jesus's upcoming death, Mary's gift was actually appropriate. Jesus was arriving in Jerusalem not only to be welcomed as king, but also he was going there to die. And while pouring out thousands of dollars of perfume during a meal was uncommon, it was more common at the time to spend a lot of money on funeral arrangements. Why not, how much better to spend it on someone while they're still alive? Mary's gift foreshadows Jesus's coming death. It was prophetic and it fit into the bigger story of what God was doing. Jesus was about to pour out his life for the sake of the world. We don't know if Mary understood what her action meant, but Jesus makes the connection. She was anointing him ahead of his burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus isn't dismissing the needs of the poor. Caring for those in need is a thread throughout his teaching, and it's very much a part of the heart of God. But here, Jesus is calling Judas out for his motivation, and praising Mary for her heart. There's a sharp contrast in this story between Judas and Mary. Judas who un- Mary who understood something of who Jesus was, Judas who was blind. Mary whose response to Jesus was deep thankfulness overflowing in generosity. Judas who took what he could for himself. Mary who was willing to embarrass herself in lavish giving. Judas, who was careful to hide his real motivation under a guise of piety. We'll come back to this comparison a little bit later on. In her lavish generosity, Mary reflected something of the heart of God and something of her heart as well. So what are we to do with this story then? Does it have anything to say to us about generosity and its place in our lives? I'm gonna suggest two takeaways. First, that generosity reflects the heart of God. And secondly, that generosity flows from the inside out. Generosity reflects the heart of God. It's part of the kingdom life that he calls us to. 
In her extravagant giving, Mary was reflecting God's heart because generosity is something that God's known for. I wonder if you've heard the parable of the workers in the vineyard that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. In this story, workers are hired by an owner to work in his vineyard, but some are hired first thing in the morning and they work all day long, while others are hired near the end of the day and only work an hour or two. When the day is done, each of them is paid the same amount, which is what they had each agreed to when they signed up. Now, the workers who worked for the whole day were pretty angry about this because it wasn't fair. They believed that they, they were owed more because they had worked for longer. And the owner of the vineyard calls them out. He asked if they were envious because of his generosity. Wasn't he allowed to do what he wanted with his own money? In telling this story, Jesus is getting at a principle of God's kingdom and something of the character of God. God, in his lavish generosity, doesn't give based on what we deserve, but based on who he is, out of his character. Generous giving is what God does. He's a God who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. He's a God who would even give his son to die so that we might know him. Mary had understood something of God's generosity and she gave in response. And she was also in a pretty unique position to know what it was to receive something from God far beyond what she might expect. He had brought her brother back to life. That brother that had been dead and buried only shortly before was now reclining at the table for dinner. I wonder if she had planned this gift or if she was so overwhelmed by seeing her brother eating and laughing that she wanted to offer something back, maybe the most valuable thing she owned. Mary's generosity flowed from her experience of and understanding of Jesus. I don't know about for you, but for myself growing up in the church, the idea that we should be generous and give to others because of what Jesus did for us can sadly sometimes seem a bit cliche. Like, I'll give my 10% and I'm good. But it's much deeper than that. And thinking it's just about money misses the whole point. I read Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart over the summer, which if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend that you do. In it, he frames giving as part of the life that Jesus calls us to. Willard writes, giving and forgiving are central to the divinely restructured life as we take on the character truly suited to the human soul. The character truly suited to the human soul. It's what we were made for. It's who we were meant to be. He goes on to quote German psychoanalyst Eric Fromm in his Reflections on Giving, and I love this quote. He writes, giving is more joyous than receiving, not because it is a deprivation, but because in the act of giving lies the expression of my aliveness. Giving as an expression of our aliveness. To be alive is to be able to give. I've been thinking about this a lot over the past couple months. If I'm honest, freely giving is not something that always comes naturally to me. But what if giving is part of what it means to be alive, both physically and spiritually? 
to give of our resources, yes, but also to give of ourselves, our time, our energy. Seeing it in this way almost gives a sense of urgency to it. We have limited days to give to God and to give to others. And what a waste of a life to spend it just collecting things for ourselves. Our very aliveness comes from God. All we possess is a gift from him, and we're invited to give in response. In our passage today, Jesus' days on earth were short. He was nearing Jerusalem and close to the cross. This was maybe Mary's last opportunity to give in this way, and she gave it her all. And the breaking of this bottle foreshadowed how Jesus himself soon would be broken as a gift for many. Mary's wasn't a prosperity gospel view of giving at all. Jesus didn't say she'd be paid back in kind. But giving here was out of recognition of what had been given. The way of Jesus is a way of generosity, to love God and to love others in tangible ways. Mary is a model for us of this. She understood something of what Jesus gives and was willing to give in a costly way in response. Generosity reflects the heart of God, and to give is an expression of our aliveness. Secondly and finally, we see in this story that generosity is something that flows from the inside out. And this is where it's helpful for us to go back to that comparison between Judas and Mary that I mentioned at the beginning. Because this comparison reflects another truth. Giving is a matter of the heart and of who we're becoming. While Mary breaks social convention and the rules of etiquette to generously give out of love, Judas disguises his selfishness by trying to look pious. This money should have been given to the poor, he says, when really he wanted it for himself. I wonder if Judas was aware of his own motivation, or if he was blind to the reason that Mary's gift offended him so much. But motivation matters. Jesus teaches more extensively on giving back in Matthew chapter 6. Here he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The why of the giving and the how are just as important as the what, and maybe more so. If we're giving just to gain honor for ourselves or to look good, are we actually giving at all? Judas was offended by Mary's gift because he wanted the money for himself. Mary gave it out of love. The heart behind the gift matters because who we are becoming matters. Generosity is meant to be a characteristic of being human. It reflects the heart of God in whose image we are made. It's what we're made for. It's a virtue that we're called to cultivate. I went to the PE for the first time this summer after nine years in Vancouver. It took me a long time. And I got to see the jousting competition and the pig races, which were pretty funny. But my favorite show of all of them was the Superdog show. The stadium was packed full when my friend and I arrived, so we had to climb all the way up to the nosebleed section to see the show. 
And we saw these dogs, big dogs and small dogs, do all kinds of tricks. They jumped through hoops, they caught frisbees, they wove through sticks at top speed. Now, I really don't know anything about dog training, but I imagine their ability to do this didn't happen overnight. It came through months, maybe years of training. Now, this isn't a perfect example, but I imagine the training of our souls, of our characters, might happen in a similar way. Practicing small acts of generosity along the way in partnership with God's spirit will begin to shape us into the kind of people who will tend to act in generous ways, who will be generous people. Or maybe you might want to picture going to the gym as you start with lighter weights and move to heavier ones, you get stronger over time. And the person that we're becoming character-wise is more important than any one gift we might give. The goal really isn't to do a spectacular act of giving, like give $100,000 and you're good. The amount of gift isn't as important as us becoming the kind of people for whom it is natural to give, because this is who we are meant to be to give without the motivation of gaining something for ourselves, to give until it becomes second nature. The outcome of this will be that in those moments where we don't have time to think about it, we'll react more like Mary than like, jo than like Judas in this story. Responding out of generosity rather than having our first thought be of what we can keep for ourselves. And this equips us then to love God with our, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Scripture calls this sanctification. Who we are becoming is of vital importance. Heart change is something that happens over time as we lean into learning from Jesus. Mary in this story is a model for us of generosity that flows from the inside out, and we're invited to this as well. So what about for us today? Practically, how can we make room for generosity in our own lives and in our communities? Our model for generosity comes from our generous God. What in your life do you see as a gift from him? Practice remembering these things. Generosity is not a deprivation, as we can sometimes see it, but it's a vital expression of our aliveness. To be alive is to be able to give. One person in our community who modeled this for me was Anna Burke. Maybe some of you were at her memorial. She served as an usher for a long time. And what I remember most about her was her generosity. She was always giving to people and inviting people for meals. Another takeaway for us might be to take the time to evaluate our relationship with what we own. Do we hold what we have with open or with closed hands? And if we have a hard time with giving, we need to ask ourselves why. I need to ask myself why. Are we afraid? Worry that if we give to others, we won't have enough for ourselves. Is it from a sense of entitlement or even greed? Do we think we deserve all we own? Or we deserve more than others? Or do we see gaining money and possessions as an end in itself, rather than simply being the means to living the life that God calls us to? These are important questions to ask, and we can bring all of these motivations to God in prayer, the God who already knows our hearts, and he's the one who by his spirit equips us to do it anyway. 
So this isn't meant to be an extra stress or burden. We can daily bring these things to God in prayer. Another application might be to practice developing habits of generosity in small ways, to partner with God's spirit in shaping our characters so that we become more and more the kind of people who love God and love neighbor well, to become more like our generous God. This is the sort of thing that will radically change our communities. This kind of training could be choosing to treat someone to a meal and not expecting them to pay you back, including someone at your table who you might not usually include. We've been talking about hospitality during this series. How might we use hospitality as an expression or practice of generosity? Training in generosity could also be practicing really listening to a friend without just waiting for a chance to speak, choosing not to one-up someone in conversation, to be hospitable in our interactions with others. It might be allowing someone else to shine when it could be tempting to take the credit for ourselves or to spend time volunteering in more menial, hidden tasks rather than visible ones. Maybe just like you have the discipline of going to the gym each week, if you do, you'll want to have the discipline of being generous in some small way each week, small steps that bit by bit help shape us as we do them. And in doing so, we grow in Christlikeness, both individually and as a church community. Returning to the dinner table with Jesus, Mary, and Martha. I imagine the conversation starting to pick up again after what happened as people return to their meals. This would be the last time this particular gathering of people would eat together in this way, although most of them didn't realize it yet. But the fact that this story is recorded shows that people didn't quickly forget what Mary had done, although maybe only later realized its significance. My trip to Texas certainly didn't come close to having the same significance as Mary's gift, but in it I also saw some of God's generous heart to me, and there have been many other ways that people have given to me that I see as God's provision, and I'm sure you have stories as well. Where have you seen God's generosity in your life, and how might he be inviting you to be generous with others, with your time, your energy, and your resources? My challenge to you this week and to myself is to think of one practice you might want to adopt or even just try out that would help you to cultivate a generous character. I thought I'd close by doing a short prayer exercise together. It's called Palms Up, Palms Down Prayer. So what I'm gonna do is we'll start with our palms facing down and we'll have a chance to pray silently. And with this, at this time, we'll bring things to God that, he, that we want to let go of, um, maybe any worries or fears or things that we feel like we're holding on to too tightly. And then we'll shift our hands to palms up. And here we'll ask God for any needs that we have and thank him for his generosity, maybe ask for more of his Holy Spirit. And then I'll close us in prayer. So let's pray together, starting with your hands to palms down. Lord, we bring to you today all the things in our lives that you are inviting us to give to you. Then palms up. Lord, thank you for your generosity. We now bring to you any needs that we have. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.